This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. One of the NHL's top players of all time, Ken Dryden, takes on a new challenge with the release of his book, Game Change, The Life and Death of Steve Montador. And... The explosive allegations against Harvey Weinstein sparked an online movement with tens of thousands of women coming forward with their own stories of harassment. But does the hashtag MeToo mark a watershed or a celebration of victimhood? But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. The fact that Zoomers are living longer, healthier lives is changing the face of the Canadian family. Canada has an astonishing 7.1 million grandparents now, more than at any time in this country's history. Rachel Margolis, a Western University researcher, found that even though today's parents are waiting longer to have children, the grandparent period is also getting longer Middle-aged dads can now expect to be grandparents for 19 years, and mothers can expect to be grandmothers for 23 years. In Japan, the number of people aged 90 or older has topped 2 million for the first time and now stands at 2.06 million. This according to the latest government estimate released for Respect for the Aged Day. The numbers also show a record 7.7 million people over 65 had a job last year, and they account for nearly 12% of the workforce. People who have a healthier diet throughout their adult lives are more likely to be stronger and fitter in older age than those who don't. That's according to a new study led by the University of Southampton. Scientists looked at nearly a 1,000 British men and women whose lifestyles have been monitored since they were born in 1946. They looked at diet at different ages in relation to three standard measures of physical function at age 60 to 64. Those who ate more fruit, vegetables, and whole grain cereals and fewer highly processed foods perform better on tests of balance and timed up-and-go speeds. Sing us a song, you're the piano man. Sing us a song tonight. Congratulations to singer-songwriter Billy Joel, who is going to be a dad for the third time at age 68. It's the second child for him and his 35-year-old fourth wife, Alexis. Meanwhile, new British research finds that sons of older dads are more intelligent, more focused on their passions, and more blasé when it comes to fitting in socially, all traits associated with so-called geeks. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. 
The Harvey Weinstein scandal has sparked a viral tidal wave of women sharing their own stories of harassment and abuse under the hashtag MeToo. Oprah Winfrey is calling it a watershed, and Justin Trudeau says it's a moment of awakening on sexual misconduct. But there is also a contrary view that this phenomenon is promoting a culture of victimhood. I talked with British author and academic Dr. Joanna Williams. The reason why the Me Too movement makes me feel very uncomfortable is because it conflates very serious accusations, accusations of rape, with a whole host of different behaviours that people are describing, some of which are very, very serious indeed and really need to be matters for police and um, for the courts, and other things which are not so serious at all, in my view, Things like name-calling, wolf-whistling, being stared at in the street. And I think conflating all those different kinds of behavior is it trivializes the most serious offenses. And I think that's, that's hugely problematic. This round of it was started by an actress, Alyssa Milano. She said the reason she did it was to, quote, get an idea of the magnitude of the problem of sexual harassment. I don't think it does tell us anything about figures in relation to sexual harassment because at the end of the day, it's social media and we have no way of verifying the types of things that people post on social media. And people have all kinds of motivations for what they might post on Twitter or on Facebook and nobody really knows. I think what it does tell us far more about is... A desire, I think, that's promoted by feminism today for women to be included in a victim narrative. And I think that's really unhelpful. I think it's very hard as a woman to be able to present yourself as someone strong and powerful and ready to take on the world if at the same time you're ransacking your past memories and reinterpreting things that might have happened to you in the past that you've long since forgotten about or or brushed off as not something that's going to define who you are so that you too can be included in this movement. How much of this going viral has to do with the fact that the women who originally came out and talked about this are huge Hollywood celebrities. The woman who started this round of the Me Too hashtag, and she wasn't the first to use that, is also a celebrity and an actress. I think, unfortunately, nowadays we do look to celebrities a lot as role models and as sources of inspiration. And I think what we're seeing is celebrities um, yet again making a, staking a claim for themselves as victims, which personally I find a little bit hard to stomach when celebrities talk about things like the gender pay gap, because you think, actually, you're really powerful, you're really well paid. You know, look at women who are working in supermarkets and working in cleaners as cleaners they don't have all the opportunities they don't have the money that you've got these are women who are in very powerful um very very wealthy women who are 
finding an, an opportunity here to be able to present themselves to the world as victims. Now, I realise I sound incredibly harsh here, and like I said, I do reiterate that this is not to say that sexual assault never happens and not to say that people shouldn't speak out about sexual assault. But as I say, what we've got then is this, this conflation of all kinds of behaviours so that people can make sure that they are included in this victim narrative. I think the real danger that we send the message, especially to young women, to my daughter's 11, <laughs> my concern is that she picks up a message here that being a woman is hell. I think in some ways this wouldn't be a problem if we also had another more positive narrative going on that was saying, you know, look, girls are doing so much better at school than boys. Um, more women are going into the world of work than men, um, and certainly more than ever before, women are taking more of the top jobs, the gender pay gap's narrowing. If you had that narrative about women's lives as well, then the presentation of women as victims wouldn't be so damaging. When women come forward, they're applauded for their bravery. But frankly, this looks to me like a huge bandwagon, like a huge pylon. I'm sure Harvey Weinstein deserves it. Where does this sense that it takes guts to come forward come from? The way I would describe it in some ways, it almost becomes like a witch hunt where more and more people are, as you say, piling on to say that they too um, have been abused. They too have become caught up in this. They've suffered too. And everybody wants to go one better with their stories and their experiences of suffering. Is this uh, yet another example of hashtag activism? I think it's it is, clearly, because it's mainly playing out online, but I think it tells me a lot about the direction in which feminism is going nowadays. Um, and like I said, to me, to me, I think it's really tragic because when you look at feminists in the 1960s, in the 1970s, and this desire for liberation, I mean, you, you never even hear that word liberation anymore, and that real fight for equality. And now it just seems like all feminism wants to do is to ask for women to be better protected. And I think an equality of victimhood, to me, quite frankly, is not an equality worth having. Okay. Joanna Williams, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. That was Dr. Joanna Williams, author of Women Versus Feminism, Why We All Need Liberating from the Gender Wars. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, The Life and Death of Steve Montador, a new book by Ken Dryden. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. It's the story of one hockey player's life and his untimely death at the age of 35. But it's also the story of how the game has evolved and how that intersects with the science of brain injuries. Politician, businessman, and best-selling writer Ken Dryden, one of hockey's most celebrated goalies, is the author of Game Change, The Life and Death of Steve Montador and the Future of Hockey. What did researchers find when they looked at his brain post-mortem? They found CTE. And CTE is very often associated with blows to the head. But again, the other thing that I think becomes essential in this 
is that because CTE is kind of the smoking gun, it becomes almost the exclusive focus. Did somebody have CTE or not? And CTE is not visible except in a postmortem after somebody has died. And I think that really the essence of every day is what about these other symptoms? What about these symptoms of memory loss and of depression and of anxiety and of difficulty in piecing together, you know, somewhat complicated things? These are things that we unfortunately have experienced in somebody, you know, who is in their 80s, but is not common and really disturbing when they're in their 30s. And so this is the life. And it is a pretty lousy life. When you're 33 years old, you're making all kinds of money. You have a chance for a full 50 plus years ahead of you doing all kinds of interesting things. And you are diminished. And in a lot of ways, you cease to be you at a very young age. And that's the real tragedy of it. Are you hoping that this book will lead to change in a way that, you know, hasn't been possible before? Yes. I mean, that's the only reason to do it. I didn't, I didn't write it for awareness. There's enough awareness. There's a significant gap between awareness of a problem and, and action on that problem. And so I didn't do this to create awareness. It is to set out a path. You know, with a decision maker, you can put a decision maker into a corner, but what you've got to do is create the path out of the corner. Because if there isn't a path out of the corner, then the decision maker just fights back even harder from that corner. And so, you know, the last chapter, which is by far the longest chapter in the book, really relates to, you know, the here's how. You point out very rightly that in other sports like football, it's well known that a head injury is a bad thing. Concussion is a bad thing. Why has there been such resistance to that basic fact in hockey? Well, I mean, football, I think, is the worst. And, and football, you know, is coming to a point of sort of acknowledging that there's a problem. But in terms of doing something that is consistent with the dimension of the problem, they are nowhere near. I mean, they are just dabbling uh, around the edges. The problem is hits to the head. That's what it is. And as you, you know, said earlier, you know, the hit to the head is not a good thing. And many hits and hard hits are really not good things. And so you can do all kinds of other things, but if you forget that, then you end up nowhere. And, and then what happens is that you have all of these things standing in the way of you focusing on that head hits are a bad thing. You, you have things that say, well, but the guy, the other guy didn't intend to do it. Or he, you know, he kind of tripped a little bit. Or, in fact, the, the guy who was hit, you know, he kind of lowered his head a little bit. Or, well, you know, the game has always allowed, you know, if you've got your head down, then you hit the guy with the head down. Or there are all kinds of excuses, all kinds of explanations. And, and of course, you know, the brain doesn't distinguish. A hit to the head is a hit to the head. The level of skill is higher and higher and higher. And the excitement that comes from that skill 
is greater. The excitement that comes from the speed that is generated by these skilled players and that can move the puck is greater and greater. The reality here now and for the player and and the issue is that it's not fair, it's not right, and it's not necessary. That's the, the, the last two words in terms of action are the crucial ones. I mean, there are lots of things that aren't fair and aren't right, but when it's not necessary, that is the part that is inexcusable. And that's where we are. There are absolutely answers, you know, in, in this, and that's what we need to focus on. Okay. Thank you very much, Ken Dryden. Thanks a lot, Libby. Bye-bye. Bye. That was Canadian politician, lawyer, businessman, author, and former NHL goaltender Ken Dryden. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Weekend Review. Coming up, we mourn the loss of one of Canada's most celebrated musicians and heroes. You're listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Weekend Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your international art state book tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. It's a British exhibition of one of the world's most iconic and influential bands. Shine On showcases rare photographs from Pink Floyd's remarkable career. The display in St. Leonard's-on-Sea, England, is time to coincide with the exhibition Pink Floyd, Their Mortal Remains at the Victoria and Albert Museum in London. In the Dutch town where Matahari was born, an exhibit called The Myth and the Maiden has opened in connection with the 100th anniversary of her execution for spying during World War I. In Dallas, it's an exhibition worthy of a James Bond film. Gold finger. One of the world's most famous gold nuggets has returned to the Perot Museum of Nature and Science. It's the Oz Rocks Gold Nugget found in the wilderness of Australia and weighs over 50 pounds. And the bicentennial of Henry David Thoreau's birth culminates with the opening of the most comprehensive exhibition ever created about one of the world's most original writers and thinkers. This ever-new self, Thoreau and his journal, runs through January 21st at the museum in Concord, Massachusetts. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. Gord Downey, best known as the lead singer for the tragically hip died at the age of 53 on Tuesday night surrounded by loved ones. Downey was diagnosed with an aggressive and incurable form of terminal brain cancer called glioblastoma, which he discovered after a seizure in December 2015. He spent the last chapter of his life raising funds for brain cancer research and advocating for the rights of Canada's Indigenous people. He released his fifth solo album, The Secret Path, in September 2016. It told the story of 12-year-old Chani Wenjack, who died of exposure after escaping a residential school. The album was paired with a graphic novel with all the proceeds from sales going to the Gord Downey Secret Path Fund for Truth and Reconciliation and the National Center for Truth and Reconciliation at the University of Manitoba. Here is some of The Secret Path. I am so... To the sky. 
that was The Secret Path. Gord Downie, of course, was among the country's most revered singer-songwriters who also wrote hits including New Orleans' Singing, Wheat King's Courage, and Ahead by a Century. That was Gord Downey and the Tragically Hip with a Head by a Century. He died this week of brain cancer at the age of 53. A posthumous double album is due out later this month. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. Produced by Michelle Saunders, Paul Thomas, and Andre Lowy. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. Home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.